0: At Arcus Great Apes. So if anybody wants more information. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. Glad that you could join us. I have a treat for you today because last week I attended the Green Schools National Conference, and this was a huge gathering of teachers, environmentalists, um, uh, uh, many, many different types of folks who are involved in the Green Schools movement, and it was huge. It was exciting. There were so many wonderful people there, and I was able to pull aside a few of the leaders, some of the members of the advisory board to the Green Schools National Network and get them them on on recording bringing to you their perspective on the organization but also what they do this first clip is from an interview i did with steven ritz he is a teacher in what he describes as the poorest congressional district in the united states and the program that he's running is called the green bronx machine he's amazing so have a listen to what he had to say so I'm here with Stephen Ritz, and he's a motivator, <laughs> to say the least. Um, he's a teacher in the Bronx, but he's so much more than a teacher. I'm excited to have him on Go Green Radio and to talk about some of the programs that he's done. You're kind of a YouTube legend out there, <laughs> at teaching kids to grow their own food. But that sounds trite. Tell us what you do.
2: Well, so I'm Steve Ritz of Green Bronx Machine, and I am CEO, Chief Eternal Optimist of Bronx County. And I am also the founder of Green Bronx Machine. So check us out on Facebook, Green Bronx Machine, or our website at www.greenbronxmachine.org. But what I am dedicated to is moving kids who are apart from to becoming a part of In solutions that benefit all of us. So what does that really translate into? Well, it translates into asset-based community development. ABCDs, because I'm in school, so ABCD, but I really like asset-based community development. I like workforce development, and I like community development. So by creating intellectual and academic programming that fosters community, we're actually growing the next generation of students, of environmental stewards. And I like to say 30,000 pounds of vegetables later, my favorite crop is organically grown citizens, graduates, members of the middle class, kids who are going to college, and yeah, I love me some arugula.
0: Now, tell me about the mechanism. How does this actually work in the classroom? Um, what What kind of materials do you use? What resources have you had to implement in the classroom in order to make this happen?
2: Well, you know, it's funny because people think I'm a farmer, but I'm really not a farmer farmer. I'm a people farmer, and the kids are my seeds. But remarkably, all of this stems from planting seeds and growing plants in classrooms and giving kids the opportunity to nurture, to nurture nature. Um, Cool thing about plants, there's no floaters in the tank. There's no poop to scoop. There's nothing that eats their young. And I always love telling people I love seeing kids pollinating plants instead of each other. But remarkably, the single act of growing plants enables kids to do things they've never done before. And most importantly, you can eat them or you can sell them. So when we start growing culturally relevant food in classrooms and engaging parents and businesses and grandparents and people who want this fresh, healthy food and teaching kids where their food comes from, it has remarkable economic benefits as well as health benefits. So I don't expect every kid to be a farmer. I don't expect them to read, but I do expect them to read about it, write about it, blog about it, and offer outstanding customer service. And man, oh, man, do they. So I'm not growing I'm growing food, but I'm growing people. I'm growing students. I'm growing hope. We are harvesting hope and cultivating minds across the South Bronx, doing it by growing food in classrooms with kids.
0: And what are the average ages of these kids who are involved in the program? What are we talking about here? Well,
2: I initially started this program with overage, undercredited kids. I mean, kids who are somewhere between the ages of 18 and 22 and literally had one or two high school credits, kids with beards and mustaches and tattoos under their eyes who were basically suited to read Dr. Seuss books. Um, throwaway kids. To give you some context, 100% of my kids are IEP learners, ELL learners, homeless, foster care, or adjudicated youth. But therein lies the greatest opportunity to transform all of society, and I relish that opportunity.
0: What's unique about where you live in the Bronx that um, lends something special to the program?
2: Okay. Well, what's unique about where I live in the Bronx is I live in the poorest congressional district in America. And remarkably, in the South Bronx, more people are being killed these days by the drive-through than the drive-by. I have the highest obesity rates in the country, the highest um, juvenile diabetes rates in the country. I have 200-pound sixth graders, and my kids don't even know where food comes from. So when they realize that you can grow food and food comes from the ground and not aisle nine in the supermarket or not for some woman in a plastic bag throwing it at you, microwaving it up and refreezing it and recooking it and refreezing it and recooking it and giving it to you on a piece of styrofoam, that is a game-changer.
0: What are some of your favorite examples of success? How do you, I, I hate to say measure success when you're talking about people, but how, how do you know that your program works?
2: Great. I've had targeted groups of kids go from 40% attendance to 93% attendance. I have 100% graduation rates. I have 100% passing rates on standardized tests. And when kids bring their body, their brain follows. So if kids are coming to school, they're not out getting in trouble or doing things that collectively we all have to pay the price for. Um, in 2007, I gave a great talk at Columbia University called From Crack to Cucumbers, and I brought 20 young men who were formerly selling drugs who are now selling cucumbers talking about how their life improved. And I got to tell you, you know, whatever your stance is on the legalization of drugs, everybody benefits when people are born addicted to cucumbers instead of crack.
0: <laughs> Stephen, that's that's amazing. And and how do kids you work? I mean,
2: I have kids who are working. I have kids who have gone from prison to earning living wage. I have kids who are traveling the country installing green walls, doing work that's bettering the environment and people's lives. We've lost collectively hundreds of pounds. I myself lost 120 pounds um, simply by eating what I'm growing with kids in school. So I started going circularly back to your question. I started this program with overage, undercredited kids but now i'm trying to embed this from the ground up because it is easier to raise healthy children than fix broken men and i'm not willing to accept the things i can't change i'm going to change the things i can't accept and i find it's easier to start with the little guys rooted in primary colors when i tell kids you know eat across the rainbow they love it and it shouldn't be skittles it should be vegetables and fruits and they're doing it and they love it and its shapes and its colors and its textures and kids love putting seeds in the ground or in cups or, in my case, vertical walls. And now I'm using tower gardens and delighted to be using tower gardens in classrooms, and I think it's wonderful. I go from a box to a garden in 40 minutes in class in windowless classrooms.
0: That's amazing. I, I, I'd love to celebrate things that could be replicated. And there are teachers across America looking for inspiration. They love their jobs. They love kids. Um, how can they do something similar to what you're doing. Where do they start? Do you interface with your peers?
2: I like to say our website is up and our waistlines are down. Reach out to me and we'll come to your town. And that's really what we're doing. I've got the next generation of kids who are willing, able, you know, here in the Bronx, we are poised, ready, willing, and able to export our talent and diversity in ways that we've never imagined. And when we said we're going to be Green, Bronx Machine International, we are. So we travel. We come to you. The kids built an amazing website again www.greenbronxmachine.org there are tons of videos Um, they're going to set up an interactive blog I have I think 9,000 kids on Facebook, I've never been on it in my life the kids run the Facebook page they are accountable to my wife and it's just another tool of engaging kids in literacy Um, so like them on Facebook they make me nuts, if you reach out to them it's the mommy 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 factor Uh, this week it's a 13 year old who had perfect attendance uh, and passed the test with a hundred, not passed the test but scored a hundred other tests who've been taking moderating our facebook page so she'll get back to you and that's kind of it um but start with something small start with something measurable start with something tangible um and build concentric circles of success i mean this program has become big but it really started with a simple desire to see success and i see my job as really loving kids until they learn to love themselves and then, you know, the rest is easy. They show up. Um, you know, I'm going to love you until you learn to love yourself and the kids keep coming and I'm I'm delighted. You know, it's easy. You say, please, you say, thank you. The magic words, I'm wrong, you're right, have a nice day. Um, and we're just all determined to leave the world a little better than we found it. But along the way, I'm the luckiest man on the planet. I really am. To think that I can do, generate academic success rooted in health, wellness, and nutrition linked to things that are going to solve some of the biggest problems in the world, really related to food and wellness and then environmental and social justice issues. It's incredible. But this is the next generation of solutionaries. And kids want to save the planet. So when you start them young, they just love it. They want to keep clean. They want to be healthy. They want to love animals. They want to love nature. They want to love plants. You know, kids in high school, I want sneakers. I want a cell phone. You know, what's the application? You know, uh, where can I get the next app? But young kids, when they have good habits, you're building on better habits. And when you can grow food in home and send it home to families and bring families in to celebrate this, that's a good thing.
0: Stephen, I love everything you've said. <laughs> and I just, I want to support it uh, 100%. If our listeners, you know, really want to help you keep doing what you're doing, what do you need? What can they do? Give us some actionable items that we can do to help you right now today.
2: So it's really very interesting because two years ago I gave this nutty TED Talk at 285 pounds and now I'm 160 pounds lighter. And basically my TED Talk, which was what launched me into this world, so to speak, um, keeps, me, keeps me centered here. Um, so it's a great story. So if you haven't seen my TED Talk, please see the TED Talk. Steven Ritz, a teacher growing green in the South Bronx. Send it to everybody. Send it to the White House. But realize back then I was telling a great story. But now aligned with partners in this room, we have great actionable steps, ideas, and technology that are going to change your life, change your kid's life, and make this replicable. And that's the most important thing because everybody needs a lunatic teacher in their life. For sure. And I am him. You know, for years, people said Stephen Ritz was suffering from insanity. And I'm here to tell you, I wasn't suffering. I've loved every minute of it. But being able to come to a place where you can pick and choose what you need to make your pedagogy better and make it replicable so that every teacher can be a champion is what this is all about. So I've moved from insanity to being cured. They're going to come up with a new diagnosis for me soon. and I can't wait to see what that is. But I'm just thrilled to be here. So check out our TED Talk. Like my kids on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter and check out our website. We will will gladly take donations, not only of cash, but of people. I think the single biggest prognosticator to student success is kind, caring, concerned adults in their lives. I need dedicated people. So this is about people power. Um, And you've heard me talk about that. It's really about people. It's about making a commitment. It's about connecting dots. Uh, I always felt that if the passion was there, the money would follow. So, yeah, we do need money, but we need passionate people. So get involved. Read to a kid. Know what's going on in a school. Visit a community garden. Do something. Uh, Extend yourselves. Again, this is all about love.
0: We're here at the Green School's National Conference. For you, you know, and and this answer is different for everybody, but what value do you see in this particular organization and this particular gathering?
2: Well, where else can you have under one roof a K-12 consortium of people dedicated to one thing? saving the world and saving the planet aligned to public and private education. So it's great. So the cool thing is that everybody's looking in the same direction. Now, some are looking high, some are looking low, but everybody in this room is looking in the same direction, and that's great. So there's a common bond, and there are some great successes that we can learn from. There's common practices, best practices, successes. I always like to learn from my failures. I'm much more interested in my failures than my successes. But the other piece is the showroom exhibition floor. So for me, my highlight is always walking the showroom floor and seeing products and what's out there and curriculum, people and ideas and say, I need this. I need that. I don't want that. Don't like this. Need this. Want that. How can I take this? How can one and one not become two, but how can one and one become 11? How can I align this with what I'm doing? And really, it's a one-stop shop for success. And success is what you want to make it. But here, all the tools are here. So stock up your tool belt, go home packed, and let's change the world and build a brand new America.
0: Don't you just love Stephen Ritz? I want to be a solutionary too, and I bet you do as well. Folks, don't go away. We've got much more Go Green Radio right after this commercial break.
3: Views,
2: your voice counts.
1: Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18.
0: Rachel Carson, in the sea around us, said,
3: All at last
1: For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you happen to just be tuning in, here's what's going on today. Um, Last week, I went to the Green Schools National Conference, and I was able to pull aside uh, some of the advisory board members and one of the sponsors of the conference uh, to get their perspective both on what their individual organizations do, but also on the value of the Green Schools National Network. This next clip is from Michael Ferraro. He was one of the major sponsors of the conference, and he is the CEO of a company called Grohams. So let's listen in to what he had to say. So we're here today with Michael Ferraro, the president of Grohams. And Michael, you were spectacular last night at the general session of the Green Schools National Network uh, opening conference uh, headline show. I, I love what you were talking about in terms of the background, how Grohams came into being. And I'd love for you to share with our listeners um, what the backstory is.
4: Yeah, an article in the Wall Street Journal about Home Depot certifying their garden center employees. So we started knocking on the doors at Lowe's. And um, coming from a third generation uh, in the nursery and garden center business uh, and having experts in the field of online um, learning on our team, we started knocking on the door at Lowe's and we told them hey we can build a better engine than what you got you know what the, your, your competitors have across the street so long story short we ended up getting a contract away from 25 other companies to build the online education to train all of the garden center employees and Lowe's throughout the entire world um, it was a two-year contract they ended up using it for over five years and um, uh, their indication to us is that that it, it increased their overall sales by over a billion dollars. So while we were doing that, though, I started thinking to myself, why should we just teach people to sell more stuff? Why don't we teach people to be better gardeners, and why don't we teach them to broaden their their ideas and their horizons and, and give them the kind of information as if somebody came to my dad's garden center and gave them that expert information but gave it to him in such a friendly way that that it was going to be very, very useful for them. So we launched a a website called Learn to Grow, and it's got one of the most um, uh, extensive plant databases in the entire world, and it's got thousands of articles on there and so on and so forth. But that just didn't, it wasn't enough for me, you know, and I started thinking about the kids. And this was going back about in two thousand and seven uh, and and I came up with this concept of something that I used to do when I was in my dad 's garden center in the middle of the winter in, in upstate new York and that was I used to plant these little I used to take these little pellets and plant seeds in them so that by springtime there would be plants, and my dad could sell them as um, vegetable and herb plants. If we could get kids where they live today, kids are so Electronic and and technologically savvy. They're brilliant when it comes to that stuff. So, if we could get them to learn online and actually grow outside, um, I think that we could get them to start eating more vegetables. I think they could become more, you know, a lot healthier from that. You could combat childhood obesity and, and, and a number of other diseases. So, I said, okay, how do we do this? Well, let's do it by creating, first of all, um, uh, gardens that they could resonate with, like pizza gardens and taco gardens and stir-fry gardens, things like that. And then inside of each garden, um, we could have four different types of plants versus just one or two, and that way they got a complete garden. So we created 125 cartoon videos, so the kids get their pizza garden, and they go home, and they register online at com for free, and then... Our 74 cartoon characters that we've created now come to life and they teach these kids everything about growing their herbs and vegetables from the minute they plant the seeds to the sunlight to the water to transplanting them to cutting them back to um, uh, to staking them and, 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 and getting them healthier and feeding them bugs and diseases, everything you need to know to the point where you're going to harvest your plants, you're going to make your pizza, and then you're going to compost it and and get your garden ready for the next time you do it. And that's how it all came about.
0: I love that. It's a great story and a great purpose as well. Um, you know, there's so many issues around food and children these days. And so you mentioned last night at the kickoff that you're going organic and that currently you have no GMO seeds going. So talk a little bit about those two issues.
4: Yeah, I think I think the, the whole going organic um, movement is very important. We don't want to miss that organic movement. And at the same time, You know, we certainly don't want to use any uh, um, genetically modified products at all because um, I think personally, everybody has their own views on it. And I think personally that by using natural, all natural seeds, um, that's a step in the right direction towards organic, and and people can start growing their own stuff thereafter. And and they can actually create their own organic stuff. So just because it it doesn't start with an organic seed doesn't mean that it can't end with an organic seed if you're growing your own products, right? So I think it's really important, and um, uh, as, as a matter of fact... None of the products that we have are um, you know we try to be very very conscious uh, and, and very green as a company, obviously you know and um, uh, but none of the products that we have are are harmful that we know of to. You know the, the world around us we try to use recycled any, any of our plastics are all recycled anything that, that we can is biodegradable and, and and no chemicals and so on and so forth.
0: Um, what is it about the green School's national network that brought you to the table? Why did you want to partner with this organization? What value do you see in the organization?
4: Well, I think that the the organization certainly has just a, a, a great purpose the The people that are running the organization Jim and, and and his team, I mean, they just couldn't be any better. And, and their mission is so in line with ours. You know, right now I think they reach, um, I think they said about 25,000 organizations that are out there. Well, if they're reaching 25,000 organizations on one side and we reach millions of people on another side, how do you bring those two together, you know? And, and Health Corps, Dr. Oz's foundation, you know, we've brought the three of us together to make a great team So, and and we want to continue to build on that um, because I think that that teamwork is really how the world gets changed. You know, so working with a a good team like that that has that focus—if they saw our focus and they felt as though we were worth working with, and and vice versa—then you know, as long as people are working together to really make that end come true, then I think that there is going to be a win out of it, and that's why we we started working with them.
0: Well, you are a for-profit company, and yet you've been so incredibly generous with your products and helping people get access to them. Um, even last night at the general session, you did something pretty remarkable, and I'd love for you to tell our listeners what you did.
4: I saw this big inventory stack that we had in our warehouse, and I said, you know what, let's do this. Let's give away 20000 of our Big garden boxes and 20,000 um, packages of our soil and give them away to schools across the country. We'll just give them to them, and, uh, even though retail value on them is 40 bucks, right? We're going to give away up to $800,000 worth of these products so that they have the boxes to garden with and the soil to garden with. And it's kind of the mentality of, hey, um, the difference between, hey, uh, here, you should do this. And this is a great opportunity, and so on and so forth, to here, start it right here, and actually put it in their hands. So we decided that um, uh, we were going to give away 20,000 of these boxes, you know, and, and yes, it would be an $800,000 giveaway in retail space and all that. But um, it was more about the difference between, hey... Um, you should do this and you should try this to, hey, here, we're gonna put it in your hand and we're gonna put it in your school and you're gonna, you're gonna actually show the kids in school that this is easy to do. And, and by the way, what we didn't, what I didn't say last night, because you always forget things when you're on stage, you know, um, but what I didn't say last night is we're gonna give up to a half a million coupons away too, to all of the kids in the schools when, so when these products hit the, the schools, they're gonna have coupons for 20% off of our garden and they can go online. And a portion of the proceeds are going to go right back to um, Green School's national network, and a portion of them are going to go to the Health Corps organization um, uh, you know, to f- help fight childhood obesity. So it's a big plan, and, um, and it seems like a big giveaway. And, and most um, uh, uh, of the financial guys out there would really squint at me as, as far as saying, you know, hey, you're giving away all of this uh, revenue off of it. But we've more than got that covered already. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's an opportunity that not just any company could just step out and do, but we are in such a position that we can. So, if you're there, what could be better than starting off and saying, here, 2,500 schools, you're all going to get six or eight of these garden boxes, and all you have to do is pay for them to get to your location, just the shipping part of it, and they're yours for free. And if you need stuff, we're here for you, and we're here to help you help those kids grow. So that's why we did it.
0: For our listeners out there who couldn't be at the conference, where can they find more information about Grow'em's and the Learn to Grow uh, project that you had uh, up online as well? Where can they find that information?
4: well learn to grow uh, mainly for you know the the avid gardeners uh, adults like ourselves uh, is www.learn with the number 2 in the middle grow.com and um uh, and Growems. you can find information if uh, if you just want to go to the Growums website it's it's g r o w u m s.com so www.growhams.com and then uh, mygroems.com is if you have an interest in um, uh, having growhams as a fundraiser or buying it at, uh, at discounts for organizational purposes um, then you go to mygrowhams.com and there's a special site there for that
0: One of the things that uh, if you get out on that website and you check out growhams.com uh, there are some things that you can buy out there. Michael, tell us a little bit about the products and the store
4: Well, um, yeah, we have currently we have all six of our gardens: stir fry, ratatouille, pizza garden, taco garden, uh, salad garden, and herb garden. Um, We also have our garden in a box kits, and um, we've got about uh, around eight or ten additional products that over the next 12 to 18 months we will be kicking off, and and you'll be able to find them there first. Uh, And uh, so that's it's a good place. You, you can just go to the store. When you go to com you can go to the store, and if the kids are on there, then you can send the kids over to the whole little gaming area where we try to keep their attention while they're while they're out, not outside. Or if it's a rainy day, we try to give them some fun and, and stuff. And there's coloring books and all kinds of stuff that's there. So just go to com, you'll find it all.
0: Well, thanks so much, Michael. Thanks for what you're doing, and thanks for being on Go Green Radio.
4: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Well, that was Michael Ferraro, uh, President and CEO of Grohams.com, great sponsor of the Green Schools National Conference. We're going to be right back after this commercial break with more of the advisory board members of the Green Schools National Network. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this.
3: News.
0: A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
1: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspiring really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Just in case you're just tuning in, here's the deal. I'm going through some interviews that I collected last week when I was at the Green Schools National Conference. Huge conference of lots of people uh, throughout the education industry, throughout environmental groups, uh, lots of people coming together, all focused on the Green Schools movement. Uh, This next clip was an interview that I did with Bill Orr. He's the Executive Director of the Collaborative for High Performance Schools. Check it out. Let's hear what he had to say. Bill, I'd like to share with my listeners what your organization, people call it CHIPS. Mm -hmm. uh, Tell us what it is and what you do.
5: Sure. Thanks, Jill. So the Collaborative for High Performance Schools, or CHIPS, is a national nonprofit organization that's dedicated to making all schools, every school, an ideal place to learn. Our focus is on school facilities Uh, We're a national organization, but we work on a regional basis. Uh, We work with school facility people, we work with school districts, we work with architects and engineers, we work with um, utilities, we work with environmental groups to basically make schools better places to learn. The first priority is making healthy learning environments that are conducive to learning that are healthy. That's our first priority. The second one is resource conservation, so saving energy, water, waste, and so forth. Not only does that have the effect on on the environment, but it also saves important operating dollars that can be put back into school programs. And then third, if you do those two things well, you're really going to reduce the environmental footprint of the school, so really reducing the impact of schools on the natural environment. And we have rating systems that are used during the design and construction operations of schools. We actually have a benchmarking program that's really focused on assessing the the bones of a school to really make sure that it's, it's being operated in a way that's really healthy and productive for students. So looking at basically things like indoor air quality, um, is there enough fresh air, looking at the lighting, making sure that there's the right amount of lighting, that it's not too dark in the room, that it's not too bright in the room. There's sort of a balance there between uh, environment and, and efficiency as well as what, what students need to, to read. Uh, we also look at thermal comfort. you making sure that the humidity in the classroom that the temperature range is is optimal for student performance. In many parts of the country where you have humidity issues, the humidity can be too high, you can have mold issues. Uh, It can also feel stuffy or too hot in the classroom and students are just not as productive in those kind of environments. We also provide a variety of, um, of tools and resources. We have a set of best practices manuals. We have a very extensive website on all facets of school design, operations, construction and maintenance
0: sometimes when you talk about facility upgrades or facility um, retrofits or what have you, even in the design phase, some people are concerned that a green design or a green building is more expensive Mm -hmm. than using traditional um, materials. And so there's some reticence to do that with public buildings sometimes because, you know, we've got to watch public dollars very carefully and A lot of people also want to make sure that education dollars go towards the classroom. Um, What does your research um, and your organization um, find in terms of the the validity of that point of view?
5: Existing schools are by and large um, the asset that's already out there. Over 80% of the schools are existing schools, and even once you build a new school, Then it becomes an existing school. It's sort of like driving the new car off the car lot, it instantly becomes a used car. And so you have to properly maintain and operate it to maintain that asset. Schools spend more on energy every year than they spend on computers and textbooks. So it's really easy to say, um, well, you know, that costs a lot maybe to install that better HVAC system or to improve. Um, replace ma- systems that um, have had deferred maintenance but in the end um, it's going to cost you more operationally and then the other part of it is how is that affecting the students students that are in class that aren't sick or are uncomfortable um, they basically are going to learn better so whether it's a matter of being sick and missing school um you know asthma is a huge issue in schools uh, i was an asthma sufferer as a kid i can attest to that personally in terms of how it affected my own learning but the asthma is the number one reason that kids miss school and so if you can reduce asthma you can improve indoor air quality you can improve thermal comfort not only does it reduce operating costs but it also increases school funding and ultimately school learning student learning
0: so, Bill, as we sit here at the um, Green Schools National Network Conference, it's a huge gathering. There's people from all over the country here, and it's very exciting. Uh, from your perspective as the executive director of CHIPS, what is the value of a network like this?
5: Sure. Well, the C in CHIPS actually stands for collaborative, and so by nature we're wor- looking to work with other parties. From, from that very beginning, um, this organization has felt different. And, and what i mean by that is it brings together different parts of the green schools movement that are not always represented at more traditional green building type activities or even um, mainstream school type things and so there's there's a this this broad movement and it really brings together a very eclectic mix of people from those different areas, and I think the opportunity and the challenge there is to get a robust presence in all of those areas, but that they also cross over and really develop a broader, deeper understanding of what the green schools movement has evolved into. I mean, some of these issues have been around for for many years. and, and they've sort of merged, they've sort of converged closer to each other. And I think, I think the Green Schools National Conference and the Green Schools National Network is playing an important role in bringing folks together.
0: Well, that was Bill Orr, Executive Director of the Collaborative for High Performance Schools. You can check out their website again at www.chps. Chips.net. Now we're going to hear from Jamie Cloud, who's the founder of the Cloud Institute. Let's hear what she had to say. All right, we're here with
3: Jamie Cloud. Jamie, tell us what the Cloud Institute is all about. The Cloud Institute is a not-for-profit organization, and we work with pre-K-12 school systems, with teacher education, uh, curriculum design, and with leadership development to move schools to organizing around how students learn for the future we want, and we call that a healthy and sustainable future. Uh, Some of that involves professional development and coaching, and a lot of it involves uh, helping to evolve the way schools are organized. Uh, so that they are designed for learning. And I'm sure that a lot of our listeners will actually want to get
0: out on your website and learn more. Tell us where they can find more information about the Cloud Institute.
3: Absolutely. www.cloudinstitute.org. Talk to us about what you
0: think is the value of this organization, this Green Schools National Network.
3: Mm -hmm. The work of learning and working toward a sustainable future is a social activity. Yes, we as individuals have to learn and and improve and and work towards meeting our potential um, as individuals but also collectively. And so networks is the way life works on the planet. And all the things that we can do individually when we come together and develop mutually beneficial relationships, that's the most sustainable way to thrive indefinitely on the planet. Everybody knows something, nobody knows everything, and by sharing what we do know and contributing to one another's uh, knowledge and and capacity, we can accelerate the shift toward a sustainable future. The importance of gathering in person, in my opinion, is that relationships change behavior. Building trust. um, You can't build trust with people online. Uh, There's no mechanism for that. Um, But looking people in the eye, uh, a firm handshake, there's nothing like it. So it's when people and systems individually and collectively come together that new things happen. We, We create knowledge and understanding together. We don't know what we don't know, and we're teaching about something we don't know how to do which is to live well within the means of nature on this planet. So we need to to construct new knowledge and understanding, and we need to do that together. And it's just, it's great to have the Internet and to have online webinars and so forth in between gathering, but there's nothing like the face-to-face to to build that kind of community uh, and trust. What are your biggest concerns? What drives you to do the work that you do? Most of the sustainable community initiatives I've encountered in the U.S. don't ever think about engaging their school systems. And where do they think they're going without all the children, young people, and their teachers? If they want to sustain anything, they're going to need to engage the young people, uh, partially for the future, but also for the present. Young people are our leaders now. And so my concern is if they don't think of engaging children and young people and schools, um, uh, it's going to take a lot longer. Uh, some of the systems modelers that I've met model education as a 20-year payback. So they say there's no leverage in education because it takes 20 years before the children grow up. Well, they don't know children if they say that. It takes 30 seconds for a third grader to say, what are we going to do about it? And then to go on and in three months reduce energy and waste in an sc- entire school district within six months. with no fancy footwork, just with behavior change. So the children and young people are leading now, and I want to make sure that everybody understands that they are leading with us. And I want to make sure that everybody understands that that's how we're going to make the change. So imagine this. Imagine that there's a shared understanding that schools are responsible for preparing children and young people to reach our individual and collective potential and that of the living systems upon which all life depends. Imagine that schools are learning organizations. Uh, Imagine all the children and young people um, in the most favorable time for learning engaged with their adults in learning and, and working toward a sustainable future, that that is the role of schools that children and young people will not be sitting in chairs all day. Um, They will be engaged, they will be out in the community learning and making authentic contributions to the community. They will be involved in envisioning the future of their communities and developing measurable indicators of success. They'll be tracking those indicators over time. In Toronto, the children track the ecological footprint of all the municipalities through the curriculum. And so if there's a spike in energy in the mayor's office, they have a hotline to the maintenance crew to say, hey, there's a leak here or there. That, they're tracking their trust fund, as they should. Um, Einstein uh, once said that the significant problems we face can't be solved with the same level of thinking we used to create them in the first place. So education for sustainability is that different way of thinking he was asking for.
0: Well, one of the things that strikes me about this vision is that if you are focused on a sustainable future, It kind of presupposes that the people who will inherit that future have worth, have dignity, have value. And when that's communicated to the children in the very fabric of the the culture of the school, that your future matters to us, that's what we're focusing on. What an exciting place to be. That's very inspiring. Thanks for joining us, Jamie. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Well, that was Jamie Cloud of the Cloud Institute. Some really exciting people I got to meet at the Green Schools National Conference. We're going to talk to one more when we come back. Her name is Rachel Gutter. She runs the Center for Green Schools for the U.S. Green Building Council. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Talk,
1: talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it.
4: That's it.
1: VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26 percent, 43 percent, or 14 percent?
0: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. In case you just tuned in, don't worry. Here's what we're doing. Last week, I went to the Green Schools National Conference. Huge gathering, lots of smart, amazing, inspiring people all focused on the Green Schools movement. And I got a chance to sit down and talk with some of them, and that's what we've been doing today, going through some interviews with some of the amazing people that I met. This next interview was with Rachel Gutter. She's with the U.S. Green Building Council and she's the director of their Center for Green Schools. So check out what she had to say. So I'm here with Rachel Gutter from the USGBC, U.S. Green Building Council, for our listeners who don't know. Um, Rachel, you run the Center for Green Schools. Tell us what that is for our listeners who don't know and what you do for schools.
6: Absolutely. At the Center for Green Schools, we are on a mission to ensure that all students have the opportunity to learn in an environment that is healthy, safe, and efficient, and that supports their dreams for a brighter future. So it's our intention to make sure that every student can attend a green school within this generation.
0: I love that. Now, how do you define what a green school is? We've heard all kinds of different um, standards and certifications and um, guidelines. How does the U.S. Green Building Council define a green
6: school? We adhere to the U.S. Department of Education's criteria as introduced through the Green Ribbon Schools program. And tomorrow, during my keynote address at the conference, I'm going to be talking about the importance of all of us really investing. In the Green Ribbon Schools criteria as the predominant definition of a green school. We worked with the Department of Education to create that criteria as did so many other community stakeholders. We believe that it is inclusive, it is comprehensive, and it is ambitious. The Green Ribbon Schools criteria uh, lays out three pillars. The first says get to zero when it comes to energy, water, waste, and carbon. The second pillar asks that schools strive towards school environments that enhance teacher and student health and well-being. And the third pillar uh, asks that schools journey towards ensuring that all graduates are environmentally literate. We think that through this criteria, there's a place for everyone to do their best work, from schools to nonprofits. And we hope that the rest of the Green Schools community will join us in embracing the Green Ribbon School's criteria by the Department of Education and in supporting them in helping to evolve that criteria over time because, of course, just with as with any rating system, with any criteria, it's not perfect right now, but it is absolutely the best we have. We want everybody to join with us in doing everything that they can to make sure that we continue to support the Department of Education and the criteria that they've created for what constitutes whole school sustainability. I think, you know, for a lot of schools, and, and a lot of
0: our listeners are teachers, and some are parent volunteers, some are administrators, that sounds like a tall order. I mean, even just going zero energy or zero waste, um, it just seems like a monumental task. What are some of the things that you do with the Center for Green Schools to help schools get to, you know, the, the resources
6: they need to actually make that happen? It is, those are a series of very lofty goals, um, but of course, as with all lofty goals, it begins with a first step. And there are lots of different kinds of first steps that schools and districts can take. We try and help schools uh, through their pain points. Um, and so we spend a lot of time trying to understand what those pain points are, and then creating resources and support structures around them. Scalable financing is one place where uh, schools have a, a huge challenge. We estimate that it would take $542 billion to bring our K-12 public schools to a place where they meet today's education, safety, and health standards. So a good deal of our work these days focuses on how we can mobilize more dollars towards that end. Um, But we also help in terms of supporting sustainability staff in school districts. We do technical trainings. We um, publish resources like the newly released National Action Plan for Education for Sustainability or a new paper that we co-published with the Institute for the Built Environment at Colorado State University on whole school sustainability. So when schools
0: decide that they want to dip their toe into the water and they want to do something with their facilities, and maybe they even pass a bond measure that allows them some flexibility financially to do this, um, if they were to go to your website, uh, where would they go? First of all, tell us the URL, and where might they go to maybe get checklists or uh, kind of a to-do list to
6: begin? Our website is centerforgreenschools.org, and if you add a backslash resources to that, you'll find more than a 1,000 pages of original content published by the center and our partners available for free. That includes everything from green existing schools project management guide uh, to online modules for operations and maintenance of green facilities to the national action plan uh, and the whole school sustainability papers that I just mentioned. Sometimes when schools start down this path, they realize, boy, I need some hand
0: holding. I need somebody on the ground who can actually help me, you know, answer my technical questions, a subject matter expert. Do you help schools uh, find their local resources? I know that you have local chapters of the USGBC.
6: How does that work when schools say, I need somebody actually physically here? What do you do? For years, we have uh, supported our uh, chapter green school committees. There are amazing groups of people on the ground in every state across the country who are serve as resources for their local schools and local districts who are looking to take that first step but aren't quite sure where to, where to start. More broadly, we mobilize a quarter of a million volunteers every year through our Green Apple Day of Service. It's our belief that we need to train up an army who are prepared to To get into their schools and support the unbelievable um, uh, task both in terms of the scope and in terms of just the possibilities of transforming our schools into healthy safe and efficient places for you personally Rachel I mean what
0: drives you to do this work I mean everybody has a different answer to that question what brings them to the table and you know wakes them up early keeps them up late thinking about these issues what is it for you what's
6: the hook well, I'm, I'll mention two. Um, one is the historical one, that I come from three generations of educators. My grandmother taught in a one-room schoolhouse. My sister is a freshly minted teacher with her own classroom for the first time this year. And my mother, uh, who recently retired after several decades with our local school district, has permanent respiratory damage from being in sick classrooms. Um, so for me, it's a very, very personal calling uh, but also I find that these days the biggest motivating factor for me um, is when I show up, not in the best schools, of course, as the director of the Center for Green Schools, I get to see some of the greenest, most amazing schools in the universe. But what really inspires me is when I show up at some of the most challenged schools in the country and see how students and, and teachers are working so hard to thrive in these challenging environments. The promise of how much easier we could make their jobs, their studies, um, and how much more we could do to inspire them to dream about a bigger and brighter future if we were to put them into green schools is what gets me up in the morning.
0: That's awesome. You know, there are a lot of people, and I don't think people realize this, there are a lot of people in this country who are in a K-12 situation, whether you're talking about the teachers, the students, custodians, parent volunteers. Um, any idea of how much of the U.S. population you could be helping having a you know, a healthier day if we
6: actually were able to, within this generation, create green schools? Well, 20% of America uh, walks into a classroom every day. That includes teachers, students, and staff. When you add to that the population in higher education, it goes all the way up to 25%. A quarter of Americans we could touch directly uh, if we were able to green all of our schools and campuses.
0: And here we sit at the Green Schools National Network Conference, um, a gathering of so many different people from many perspectives, all working towards a very similar goal, um, maybe in a different way, you know, looking at greening schools from the curriculum side or the facility side, but all with a similar heart for this issue. What is it about this organization that makes you invest your time? Why do you find value in the Green Schools National Network?
6: Well, moments, uh are important for movements. uh, Movements to be successful need high moments throughout the year, um, and they need opportunities for the choir, as it were, to recharge. And that's really what this conference, I think, is all about. It's about all of us recharging our batteries Getting together, um, George Bandy from Interface referred to the conference as a family reunion, and it certainly feels like that when you're here. Um, these are the, the most dedicated champions where green schools are concerned from across the country and in some cases from across the world. I think that we come here to renew our commitments, to take stock of the progress that we've made, and to redouble our efforts to do more in the future.
0: Before we go, I know that she wanted to mention a, a very special volunteer opportunity. So why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners about that?
6: Another wonderful moment for the movement that occurs every year is the annual Green Apple Day of Service. This year, on Saturday, September 27th, hundreds of thousands of volunteers from around the world will be joining together to demonstrate to the world that where our children learn matters. You can visit... Uh, MyGreenApple.org for more information and to register our project. Count me in, and I hope all of our listeners will do the same. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you.
0: So that was Rachel Gutter, the director of the Center for Green Schools that's run by the U.S. Green Building Council. Some great, amazing people. I met so many more, but this was just a a little highlight for you all, all of our listeners, to get to know the Green Schools National Network a little bit better. If you'd like to learn more about the organization, go to www.greenschoolsnationalnetwork.org. Yours truly is now on the advisory board, and I'm very proud to be a part of this organization. They'll be doing another conference next year in Virginia Beach. So, as the time comes closer, I'll give you more information on that. But until then, go out to greenschoolsnationalnetwork.org. Well, folks, we're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green.